On today's episode of The Breakdown, I want to take a few minutes to analyze something that Diddy said yesterday in an interview with the supermodel Naomi Campbell. There's a lot of controversy surrounding it. Uh, I support what he said, but I want to unpack and explain why I support it and where I think he's coming from. Then I'll even look at the other side of people saying, hey, that's dangerous, it's reckless. Also, there's a brilliant new bill being proposed by two of my favorite people in Congress. I want to give you some insights on that. We have a Woman Crush Wednesday segment, and I also want to give you an update on that horrible case that we first mentioned yesterday in Brunswick, Georgia, about the shooting death of a young brother named Ahmad Aubrey. I'll give you an update on that as well. This is Sean King, and you are listening to The, the, the Breakdown. You never really know who's going to shine during a pandemic or during a crisis, but uh, a person in a voice that I think has really stepped up in a major way has been Naomi Campbell, who has done some amazing interviews and uh, and even just had some conversations herself about the pandemic, about politics. And um, of course, I mean, she is a woman who's traveled and seen the entire world, but uh, she's just been brilliant throughout the pandemic with just deep insights and thoughts. And yesterday she had a conversation with Diddy and a part of that conversation was about the presidential race and Diddy gave his thoughts on it. And I want to play that clip for you now. Black vote is not going to be for free. We're going to have to see some promises. You know, what are we getting in return for our vote? Nothing has changed for black America. And in order for us to vote for Biden, we can't be taken for granted like we always are because we're supposed to be Democrats or because people are afraid of Trump. It's whoever's going to take care of our community, whoever wants to make a deal, it's, it's, it's business at this point. You know, we can't trust politicians, you know, so we want to know very clearly, just like Trump made it clear that he wanted to build a wall, Biden needs to make it clear that he's going to change the lives and quality of life of black and brown people, or else he can't get the vote. I will hold the vote hostage if I have to. Now, I first uh, saw and heard that clip earlier this morning when my friend Charlemagne the God, uh, he posted it and he posted a long caption. And if you go to my Instagram now or Charlemagne's Instagram, I reposted Charlemagne's caption uh, or you could just go to Charlemagne's page and check it out for yourself. I agree with everything that Diddy said there. Like I, I would say it even stronger. And I think it's it's ridiculous to say otherwise but it's a bit of a, a Rorschach test, uh, which, which if you don't know, is like the ink blot test where you uh, somebody shows you ink blots and you tell them what you see. Um, I heard what Diddy said and was like, yep, that's right. We need to make sure that Joe Biden actually has an agenda for us. And I and I heard that and I'm like, yeah, of course. What other scenario are we saying that? We don't care if Joe Biden has an agenda for us, because what Diddy is saying is true. Black people almost exclusively put Joe Biden in the position he's in right now, and he doesn't come close to winning the presidential election in November without the black vote. And all Diddy is saying is, hey, 
we need to just let him know, hey, if you actually in real life want us to show up and vote for you, like in a major way, if you want us to put you over the top, talk to us clearly about your agenda. Show us the policies, show us the plans, show us the strategies. Instead of just saying that you're going to be different than Trump or that you're better than Trump, can we be practical? Can you talk to us about your economic policies? Can you talk to us about your justice policies? Can you talk to us about your health care, community development policies? Like, can you, can you speak on these things? And I see several of my friends, including uh, Kenny Burns, who I'm doing an interview with later this afternoon, saying, hey, hey, that's reckless. I see my brother Isaac Hayes III also posting like, hey, everything that Diddy said right there was completely wrong. And I was shocked because <laughs> everything I heard and everything Charlemagne heard, and, and I see many of you even on my Instagram debating it right now, I agree with every bit of it. It's outrageous. I mean, if it's a city council person, if it's a local mayor, if it's, if it's a state representative, if it's somebody for Congress, we should always require of them that they have an agenda that as much as we can make it is binding, that they have some type of binding commitment to our concerns. And other people are saying like, no, 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 no. Don't say that. Don't say that. You just need to vote for Joe Biden no matter what. And and here's the thing. Black folk are going to show up and vote for Joe Biden. Black folk vote almost 95% for the Democratic candidate and black folk will show up. But what we know in Michigan, in Wisconsin, you know, in a place like Georgia, Florida, North Carolina and others, is that if you actually want to win, black folk have to go all out. And we saw that in 2008 and 2012, of course, with Barack Obama. But black folk, while black folks showed up to vote in huge numbers for Hillary Clinton, in any place where the turnout was depressed even a little bit, in, in Milwaukee or in Wisconsin or in Michigan, she lost. And it's okay for us to say to Democratic candidates, to Democratic nominees, and let's be real, as I record this, it's still April, we're still in the primary, it's okay in April to say, hey, Joe Biden, I want to make sure you actually have an agenda for us, okay? Like, that's not, and let's be real, Diddy is not making a threat, he is saying that we all deserve to have a presidential candidate that has an agenda that actually represents our needs, our concerns, our, our biggest issues, and that they have to have a plan, and we want to see it. Because what we've seen for most of our lives is presidential candidates who desperately rely on our vote but have no agenda for us, have no plans for us. They plan on being generally nice, but we need something more than general nicety. Like we need people that have an actual policy agenda for the concerns and issues that we have. And I'm grateful uh, for Diddy, who didn't say, hey, I'm not voting for Joe Biden. He just said, hey, um, we're at the stage in American history where the Democratic candidate needs to have a serious agenda for black folk. And anybody who looks at this situation and says otherwise 
is ridiculous. And I see other people saying, hey, he's saying that from a place of privilege. I, I don't I don't understand that. No, he's saying it from a position of authority of somebody who generally doesn't go into making a deal with somebody unless the deal is good for everybody. And what we want to understand is, hey, Joe, if we're going to make this deal with you, not only where you are the Democratic nominee, but where we go all out to make sure you win the race, exactly what are you going to do? And if that's a problem for you, saying something like that, then we need to have a bigger conversation. Like, we need to go deeper. If saying that much um, riles you up and gets you frustrated, then you have probably been eating crumbs under the table for so long that you are used to people over-promising and under-delivering, or you're used to not getting anything. Like, that's just the standard. And so... Um, I see a lot of what I think are just outrageous criticisms of what he said. Uh, I think people, understandably so, so badly want to defeat Donald Trump that they are afraid to even ask Joe Biden for a favor. (laughs) And it's like, no, no, we can do both. We can defeat Donald Trump and in April still argue that there are some things Joe Biden needs to do and do differently Uh, for him to garner our full support. All right, listen, next up, we have a quick Woman Crush Wednesday segment. And then I want to talk to you about a new bill uh, that's being proposed from Congresswomen Rashida Tlaib and Pramila Jayapal. I love and respect both of them. And then we'll close with an update on the murder case in Georgia of Ahmaud Arbery. I'll be right back. My name is Maria Perez, and I am the associate editor at The North Star. As part of its Women Crush Wednesday series, The North Star highlights strong women of color every week who are breaking barriers and using their voices to help their communities. This week's inspiration is Chicago-based activist Alicia Camille. At just 19 years old, Alicia has already left her mark in her Chicago community. The young activist, who is part of the youth-led anti-gun violence group Good Kids Mad City, jumped to put in place a plan to help her community when the coronavirus pandemic made its way across the nation. Along with other young activists, Alicia raised more than $7,000 to purchase groceries for low-income Chicagoans and provide emergency funds for those affected by the economic downturn. Alicia continues to advocate for the people of Chicago and others around the country who find themselves in food deserts during the global pandemic. We salute Alicia for her continued work in her community and for inspiring young people around the country to give back to others. To learn more about Alicia and why we're crushing on her and her work, be sure to check out the North Star Media on Instagram. The breakdown. The breakdown. The breakdown. You know, in government, Old habits die hard, and this seems especially true in Congress, where lawmakers, just as we thought they would, fail to come through with the help that we desperately need in times of crisis. Consider, if you will, the first coronavirus stimulus stimulus bill that they passed in late March. It's called the CARES Act, and it provided only a one-time cash assistance check of $1,200, and that act actually left out millions and millions of people who have not gotten a check to this very day. And since then, in early March, here we are, it's almost May, subsequent legislation 
has really just propped up the government's initial response. It's really been lacking in every detail, in every bill, has just been a battle with Republicans rejecting efforts to create a lifeline for the most vulnerable members of communities and then outright blocking funding to cities and states. That is when they're not directly attacking the leaders of those cities and states under siege from this virus. So here we are. It's almost May, days after Congress returned from a long vacation to pass yet another Band-Aid bill. We could call it the Stimulus Bill 3.5. And our legislation, our legislators rather, returned to their old habits and once again neglected cities and states and individuals in favor of businesses. And not really small businesses, of course. The funds they set aside for paycheck protection loans to small businesses fall far short of what's actually needed to keep them running and make sure that employees are paid. And millions of businesses all over the country that have applied for assistance haven't gotten anything. And even if there were enough money in this fund, the application process has been a complete nightmare that has kept small businesses from accessing the relief that they desperately need. Now, I know it's easy to feel like everything is awful and nobody in Congress is actually looking out for us. And who could blame you because it often feels like that. But, you know, the results sometimes speak for themselves. But today I want to talk about some truly groundbreaking proposals from members of Congress who actually get it. Earlier this month, Representatives Rashida Tlaib of Michigan and Pramila Jayapal of Washington State proposed something that they call the Automatic Boost to Communities Act, or the ABC Act. The bill would provide a critical bridge to safety and security for the many people affected by this terrible virus, including those who've been denied so far the critical cash assistance that they need. And Tlaib and Jayapal recognize that in all too many places in the United States, even before this pandemic, working a full-time job just wasn't enough for individuals or families to make ends meet. So let me break down this bill. Under Boost, every person in the United States, regardless of immigration status, would receive a $2,000 debit card. That includes undocumented immigrants and other people who may not have a permanent address, such as Native Americans, and it also factors in dependence. If Representative Tlaib succeeds, we'll see recurring payments after the, the one $2,000 payment, the one-time $2,000 payment. You'll have recurring payments of $1,000 per month at a minimum going on to that debit card that you get, and it'll be there for you and your loved ones until one year after this crisis ends. And more than that, the act guarantees a $6,000 tax credit for families and a $3,000 tax credit for individuals, which if you wanted to, you could even take in advance. Now, Tlaib and Jayapal would fund this, and it's a brilliant idea, and actually several economists have said it would work. They would fund this bill directly through the American Treasury, through the creation of two $1 trillion platinum coins made by the United States Mint. Yes, two $1 trillion coins. And according to their plan, the Federal Reserve would then purchase those two coins from the U.S. Mint, leaving it with $2 trillion to sweep into the Treasury account. From there, the cash would go into the Bureau of the Fiscal Service, 
which could then disperse the funds to every person in America. In an ideal world, this infrastructure and flow of cash would be permanent, that it would be a part of a universal basic income idea, helping to lift families out of poverty and boy the underserved and underbanked communities who are struggling because of institutional barriers, neglect, or outright discrimination. Now, Tlaib and Jaipal's bill is an important step in the right direction for the United States when it comes to guaranteed income through the crisis. It's a policy that a majority of voters on either side of the aisle support. And it is by now, as lawyers would say, res judicata. That is, the matter is settled. And it's common sense that the best way to help people who are struggling in this country is not to paternalistically decide how to spend resources on their behalf, but to directly provide them with financial resources so they can take the steps to secure their own future. Now, to be clear, cash assistance alone isn't enough to surmount the barriers that so many people face. Cash alone can't ensure that every person in this country has what they need to weather the crisis. We need Medicare for all, and that's why Talib has also proposed the creation of what she's dubbed an emergency first responders corps. Think of this new corps that she's talking about as a new service branch of people who would deploy in cities and communities across the country to check on their most vulnerable residents, those who must rely on others from for help from day to day. She is proposing a new corps that would help the elderly, those living with disabilities, folks struggling with mental illness, and others just trying to get by. These responders, for example, would be charged with getting stimulus debit cards to people who can't receive them by direct mail for some reason or can't pick them up in person. And this first responders core offers several layers of benefits to the American public. It's going to create jobs in the face of historic unemployment, and it's going to give people a way to give back to make sure that others aren't being left behind in these tumultuous times or denied the benefits that they're supposed to receive under the legislation that Congress is slowly passing to ease the effects of the pandemic. In summary, before we close on this topic, this idea that Congresswoman Tlaib has, this first responders corps, is going to ease the economic devastation for those who are able to work. It's going to promote the health and safety of our most vulnerable. And most importantly, it's going to create a foundation for rebuilding communities after weeks and months of isolation. Yesterday here on The Breakdown, we started talking about the horrible racist case of murder in Brunswick, Georgia, where two white men got in their car and chased down a young brother named Ahmad Aubrey who was jogging on a Sunday afternoon, as he often did, through his own town in broad daylight on a Sunday afternoon, which should have been the safest, most secure day of the week and time of the day to be able to do such a thing. But this is America. And as he was jogging through the neighborhood, these two men, father and son, got in their pickup truck and car, with a 357 Magnum and a shotgun and chased Ahmad down and shot and killed him. And we are building uh, a team of people behind the scenes uh, 
that is preparing action steps for you to take. And we may have those action steps available as early as tomorrow. But when we do, we need all hands on deck. And I mean that with every fiber in my being. We're going to fight for justice for Ahmad, but it's going to take more than just me and a few other people. It's going to take all of us doing what we need to do. We have some creative ideas, creative strategies for you, and uh, we're going to put some real pressure on them uh, to, to do what needs to be done here. All right. So stay tuned for the action steps on how we're going to build some teams together to fight for Ahmad. Let's do this and let's get ready. All right. Take care, everybody. Break it down. Break down.